1: Hey everybody, this is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal of Constitution with another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. We are taping here on March 18th on a rainy day and this episode is going to focus on Atlanta United versus Montreal in Saturday's MLS match at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Kickoff is at 4 p.m. It's going to be broadcast by Bally Sports Southeast so you'll get Kevin Egan and the team there for you. It should also be on 92.9, and you can follow my live coverage on Twitter at Doug AJC. If you're listening to us for the first time, please follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please give us a good rating so we can grow the show. I would very much appreciate that. So just a quick breakdown of what is coming up. Atlanta United is 2-0 at home this year with victories over Sporting Kansas City And Charlotte at home, I should say. Montreal on the road is 0-2-0. Atlanta United home and away has five goals allowed, five goals scored. Montreal has two goals scored, eight goals allowed. It's not having the best season, and that's partially because it was good enough last season to qualify for the Champions League by virtue of winning the Canadian Cup, which, as I've said many times, is the equivalent of winning FIFA in your basement because there are so few teams. But, you know, whatever. They do what they had to do. They won. They got in. They were eliminated on Wednesday. But as Atlanta United supporters know, playing those midweek Champions League games and then playing league games, particularly at the beginning of the season, takes a toll. And it can take a toll that lasts the whole year. So I'm curious to see what Montreal is going to do this weekend. And you're going to hear from Gonzalo Pineda about that in just a bit expected goals for and against this season. Atlanta United, 4.74, 3.4 against. So it is kind of underperforming. Well, it's, it's, it's underperforming on goals scored and overperforming on goals, or unlucky on goals allowed, I should say. Montreal is 3.1 and 3.6. If you'll go to the info to know that published earlier this morning, you can find it again on my Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC. You'll see who the referee crew is, which is led by Chris Penso. You'll see injury reports. You'll see what was said about the game from a couple of different people, including Gonzalo Pineda and Joseph Martinez. And you'll get my predicted 11. So I hope that you'll consider going to that. Uh, It's chock full of information. It's kind of a new thing that I started doing this year that my boss, Chris Vivlamore, suggested I do. He likes the format. As we get into the fifth game and sixth games, I'll start including more stuff because we'll have more of a, a baseline for projections for, for results and things like that. So I hope that you'll keep reading that because I think it's doing fairly well online. Okay. So going back to Gonzalo Pineda, I asked him this week if knowing he's going to face either a very tired team or a team that's likely not starting a full strength 11, if he would change his tactics to try to get that early goal and put this thing to bed by halftime.
0: No, I mean, we'll try to play the same style, I mean, uh, trying to start on the front foot as always, especially at home, and try to be the team that dictates the intensity of the game. We try to be that type of team, and hopefully we can do the same this Saturday, regardless of the opponent. I mean, there's always this discussion about yes they are tired maybe but also they are in rhythm they have some games and they have a bit more you know um, connections there because they were on the field more time than us and and it's always that you know what is better what is worse so for me it's just I'm waiting for the best uh, Montreal they will try to come back strong and prove in the league that you know they are doing well they're a very good team last year they beat us in in their house so I I remember that one so uh, yeah we we expect the, the best Montreal possible.
1: Montreal has talent. Uh, Jordi Mihalovic is one of the better players in Major League Soccer. I think he's a fantastic, creative midfielder. If you didn't see his goal, he scored two weeks ago in a league game. Uh, It was waved off, but it was a fantastic individual effort. Um, I don't know if he'll play on Saturday because he played on Wednesday, and that's a lot to ask. Um, But if he does, he's a player to watch, and Atlanta United must be wary of. Now, as I wrote in another story that should be posting here in a little bit about kind of storylines for this game. Atlanta United's set-piece defending has not been great this season. Uh, Charlotte scored a goal off a corner kick. Sporting Kansas City scored a goal off a corner kick. Several goals were scored by opponents in the preseason. Montreal, i got to assume, is going to bunker on Saturday, try to get a point, try to steal a goal, likely off a set-piece, because it's easier to do that than against the run of play. So I asked Pineda on Thursday how he feels about the team's set-piece execution heading into this game.
0: I think there's a lot of improving, today we work again on that, I think uh, there's a lot of little things like who blocks this player, who does this job, who does this role better, but very little things. At the end, I think in the goal that we took, there were a few confusions because of the subs that Mm -hmm. just came in, Uh, and then uh, again, credit to the opponent, it was a great ball and a great header. So, uh, we have to also give credit to the position in certain places, but obviously we can do better. What I would highlight as well is the attacking set pieces. I think we were very creative. Mm-hmm. We create one that I still don't know why it wasn't a goal. Yeah, me but <laughs> but I, I I understand that referees are correct and so I just didn't see anything major to, to not allow in that one. But it was a very good ball, very good movement, very good header again for us and didn't count. And there were a few chances there where we create danger in the attacking set pieces. So that's another positive. I think the team is feeling capable also to hurt opponents with our attacking set pieces.
1: I agree with Pineda on that. I'm still not sure why that goal, which was scored by Andrew Gutman with his head, was ruled off. I think sometimes referees have kind of made up their mind before a corner kick is even taken that they're gonna call something if in the scrum they see any kind of grappling or holding. It happens on every single corner kick. Uh, But sometimes I think they just get it in their head, hey, I'm gonna call if I see, uh, even if it's not egregious. And I think that's what happened against Atlanta United uh, in the first half against Charlotte. So having said that, you'll also see in the storylines my thoughts on Atlanta United and the five goals that it scored this season. Pineda was asked about if the team is getting closer to kind of playing the style he wants, which is kind of a flowing possession attacking style. And here's what Pineda had to say.
0: It's getting there, I think it's getting there. I think you see at times uh, that style, you know, players occupying certain spots with uh, patience and discipline and staying there. At times I also like rotations and creativity, allowing creativity within the tactics. Uh, But I'm patient uh, and still, again, Uh, If you notice, there there has been a lot of moving parts in the team since pre-season, players out for internationals, injuries, coming back from different things, visas. So still the team hasn't trained enough all together with the whole squad. So I'm just waiting for that and I'm patient. I think we've been making a lot of progress in terms of the identity, of the high pressure, of the desire, the ambitions, the goals, like many, many things culturally, internally, in the team and the club, that I feel confident that once everybody's back, everybody's here, we can have a couple good training sessions and they understand those things more specifically. I think we're gonna improve uh, a lot, but uh, I'm patient for sure.
1: Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest positives for the team so far this season is from their first three games, they do have six points. Now, you know, the wins weren't exactly thumpers, uh, either of them sporting Kansas City or Charlotte, but the team has six points. It did lay an egg in Colorado, but there are many, many reasons for that. The roster was depleted. They had the Ozzie Alonzo situation, which I'm sure shook the team, shook the players, uh, before they started that. And really, get, that result didn't bother me so much because if Tyler Wolf puts away that goal, if Joseph Martinez puts away his goal, it's a totally different game. Totally different game. But they didn't. But they, were, they had the opportunity. So once Marcelino Moreno gets 90 minutes fit, once Diego Almada is more assimilated into the squad where he can start and go at least 60 minutes, he says he can go 90, but go at least 60, you're going to start to see a better team. Then you got Luis Araujo coming back. you got Santiago Sosa, Franco Abada, Emerson Hyman. You could argue that this team is still missing five to six starters. Easy. But they're getting the results, and the schedule is favorable. It's very, very favorable. You get a depleted Montreal team at Mercedes-Benz Stadium this week. After that, you get some fairly e- – well, what would seem to be easy games – or easier, I should say, at D.C. United. Always a tough place to play, but they're struggling. At Charlotte, which could still be winless. At home against Cincinnati, which – Wooden Spoon winners, at Miami, Wooden Spoon contenders, back to Montreal, at home against Chicago, and then you got your first really, really tough one at home against New England on May 15th. So the schedule sets up well for Atlanta United to kind of ease into the season, get players back, things like that. Um, that, That's a little bit different than last year when you thought the schedule was gonna be easy and it turns out it was really front-loaded against a lot of the better teams. So we got to speak to Tiago Almada for the first time in Atlanta. We we were able to interview him via Zoom uh, when he signed way back in February. And he talked about a few things, um, including if he's okay with Pineda still trying to figure out his best position. And to be fair to Pineda, last week he had one full training session with Almada. And that's the first one in a month. So I don't blame him for still not quite being sure how he wants to play him. I think it's going to be interchangeable. He and Moreno as a midfielder or left wing, even a second striker. It's just going to depend upon what the opponent is doing and what's happening in the game. But here's Thiago Almada.
0: I feel okay about that. I trust him a lot. I know that he understands my game, and he's going to find the best fit for me. I felt good playing on the left, so I think it's going to be a good season. For me.
1: Now that is not Almeida you hear. That is an interpreter for Almeida. And then Almeida was asked, of course, how does he feel about coming off the bench right now?
0: Hey, I want to go step by step. First, I want to be a starter. Then I want to uh, be an important guy or important piece of the team. And I want to help the club fight for the titles that they need to be fighting.
1: Perfectly reasonable answer from a player who I think is going to end up being very, very good for Atlanta United. All right. The next segment, we are going to go to the mailbag. Y'all were kind enough to send a few questions. This is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluesteak, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut, are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. This is Doug Robertson with Southern Fried Soccer. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC and on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. And if you want to follow me on Instagram, I provide coverage or my analysis of the starting eleven before games. You can find me there at Douglas David Robertson. Now, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution has a special offer for Atlanta United supporters and listeners to this podcast. If you subscribe today, you will not only get unlimited digital access to the AJC and the Sunday paper for $2.30 a week, but we are also throwing in a special limited edition Atlanta United and Atlanta Journal-Constitution scarf. So sign up now at subscribe.com. I just tweeted that out a bit ago. If you want to actually see the URL rather than try to write it down as you listen to me, go to my Twitter, and if you scroll my timeline, you will see it. So on to the mailbag. Ben in Philly says, or asks, Do you think going into the international break with nine points would be a successful start to the season for the team? Yes, I do. I think that would be a fantastic start. I mean, that's a, uh, what is that, nine points out of 12 clip? If you project that over a season, that's a, that's a good bit of points. Um, I can't do the math in my head. Right now, over 34 games, uh, <laughs> what would that be? Uh, four, nine, 36. Yeah, it would be a lot. More than 50 points. That would be good. Barring the absences in the starting 11 and the team's ability to defend or take advantage of set pieces, is there any concerns you have preventing this team from being a top team in the East? Well, they got to shore up the set piece defending. That's that's clear. They can't keep leaking goals, particularly when they're having trouble scoring on set pieces. The the you know the, they just got to get healthy and then they got to stay healthy. The best teams in the league are the ones typically that don't suffer a lot of injuries. They're able to build chemistry. They're able to build consistency, and with that comes confidence. And when you have confidence, you play more freely. And that's what Atlanta United isn't quite doing just yet. I thought they played really well the first 30, 35 minutes against Charlotte. A lot of great movement, a lot of great passing, but that final ball, as has been the case going back to last season, just was not there. And a lot of that is confidence. A lot of that is trust. A lot of that is confidence or chemistry. And so once that is developed, you should see Atlanta United become a top team. As always, I appreciate your coverage and engagement with the supporters. Well, thanks, Ben and Philly. Have a cheesesteak on me. John says... Thanks for your coverage of the team. Well, thank you, John. My question is, assuming everyone is healthy and able to play, what is your starting 11 and the specific positions they will play? Do you see Moreno or Almeida in the attacking mid? Uh, okay, so let's do that super quick. In the typical formation that Atlanta United has been playing, Brad Guzan in Goal, Brooks Lennon on the right, Miles Robinson, and I'm going to put George Campbell at center back right now, Andrew Gutman on the left. I like Ozzy Alonso ahead of Santiago Sosa at defensive midfielder. I then think you'll see Mateus Suzetu as central midfielder. I think you see Diego Almada as your attacking midfielder, Marcelino Moreno on the left, Luis Arajujo on the right, and Joseph Martinez at striker. I could also see Emerson Hyman in place of Mateus Suzetu as a central midfielder. Mateus Uzetu is a guy who does a job but doesn't really stand out in any one particular area. That's a, a observation I've had him about him for a long time. He, he's just, uh, I, I don't know. He doesn't really advance the ball aggressively, but that may not be his role. But it seems like I think that's what Pineda wants him to do. Pineda said he wants him to do that. Huzetu said he likes doing that, but it's still not happening just yet. Um, so we'll see. Second part of John's question. Assuming we were down by one goal late and you already have your top 11 out there, who do you see as a super sub and what position? Well, I think you saw that in that last game. Jake Mulraney as a super sub. Because his quickness against tired defenses is an advantage. He's aggressive. He likes to shoot. He likes to go at defenders. That's a that's a pretty good combination right there. Now, what changes would you make to your top 11 late in the game? Well, I guess it depends on if you're winning or losing. If you're winning and Ozzie Alonso isn't on the field, i definitely bring him on because he knows how to see out a game. He has a long, long history in Major League Soccer of being able to do that. If you're behind, I bring on Jake Mulraney. I bring on whomever is gonna go at defenders and whoever is quick. Uh, that could be Tyler Wolf, that could be Jake Mulraney, it could be Choll, any number of players. It could be Jackson Conway, he's a second striker to try to knock balls down to Joseph. It just all depends upon the situation. Sean says, I'm sure you have answered this before, but fully healthy and assuming Hyman is back, what is preferred starting 11 information?" Well, I just answered that one for you, buddy. How do you see the next TV rights deal going down? I know that Major League Soccer wants to announce that, I think, soon. I think by the end of the month, maybe by the end of April, I believe it is. Um, And you see different reports, different uh, rumors about it being worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Major League Soccer and soccer in the world—it's it's a growing television market. Um, it kind of fits within what today's society and its attention spans are capable of. Two hours, mostly nonstop action, in and out—you're done. So we'll see what happens. How does MLS take the next step toward a national audience? It's really, to me, just patience. If you look at—I don't have the numbers. I'm throwing this is a theory of mine. Okay. If you go back and you look at the National Football League, once it started to be broadcast on television, I would love to see what its ratings were as a percentage of the population. Same for the NBA. You've got to give Major League Soccer time because in addition to the fact that it's still less than 30 years old, during that 30 years, you have seen a gigantic seismic shift in how people consume information and entertainment. When the National Football League started, when the NBA started, when the NHL started, you had radio, TV, newspapers. Three channels from which to consume news. So the numbers were gonna be gigantic because you're all being funneled down the same pipes. Now, since Major League Soccer has come on, it's, you can't even, I can't even say off the top of my head all the different ways that you can consume news, the different platforms from which it can be consumed. It's just gonna take time and patience, but it'll get there. I have no worries about the health of the league. You see the expansion figures. You see that everybody and their mother is trying to get a major league soccer team. Partially because while the expansion fee is gigantic, the cost of operating a major league soccer team and a roster is a pittance compared to the other professional sports teams. When you see backup catchers going for $16 million a year in major league baseball, and that's twice the salary cap of a major league soccer team, you can see why owners want to get in. They can charge the same prices for tickets as they do for baseball, same prices for for food as you do for baseball, same prices for jerseys and other merchandise as you do in baseball and the NFL. But you only have to pay pennies on the dollar for salaries. It's 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 easy math. John says, for a few minutes around the middle of the half, maybe around the 20-minute mark, Tyler Wolf and Brooks Lennon inverted. That means he switched sides. Lennon went from the right to the left, Wolf went from the left to the right. Well, what's the thought behind that? I'm trying to see how Charlotte adjusted, and so can we attempt to exploit that? So there's a couple of different reasons coaches will do that. Sometimes it's just simply a function of, let's say Brooks came from the right to the left to take a corner kick, and the play ended up coming back out quickly. Well, Brooks is going to stay on that side for defensive purposes, and Tyler was going to will stay on the other side for defensive purposes just to cover Brooks' spot. Sometimes coaches do it just to try to see, hey, is this a matchup, a one-on-one matchup that we can exploit? Sometimes it might be because it allows Brooks to cut back to his right and deliver a ball that has a more penetrating angle into the box than a flat angle that sometimes comes from the right that kind of runs parallel to the end line. This would be more of a 45-degree angle in. It might be better for Joseph in that situation. Those are some of the reasons. I mean, Atlanta has done this before under different managers. It it happens at all levels of soccer. So it's interesting, and let's just keep looking out for it. And it's it's a great observation, John. Thank you. And then we have two more. Sam says, hi, Doug. I love the podcast, and I hope you're enjoying some good coffee. Oh, I did this morning. Thank you very much, Sam. This is wishful thinking, I'm sure But Joseph's celebration on Sunday gave me hope. Is there any way Miguel Almiron comes back to Atlanta? Joseph was asked about this yesterday. It was his second availability with local media. He said it just kind of came to him. It wasn't anything planned. And he said there's no chance that Almiron comes back to Atlanta. Um, He's happy, even though he's not playing. I know Newcastle is going to sell him this summer. I mean, if I were Almiron, I would consider coming back to Major League Soccer because you know you're going to play. You know you're going to get paid. But I don't blame him for wanting to stay in Europe. Uh, Sam says, I know we are using our three DB, DP spots, but maybe Almeida's contract is such that we could use GAM and open that spot up. There's absolutely no chance of that, Sam. Uh, because Almeida's con- the transfer fee is $16 million. That alone makes it impossible to buy down because you have to amortize the transfer fee plus the salary plus the agent fees plus marketing fees over the length of the contract. And then that has to be less than $1.6 million. So because of the contract itself, $16 million, there's no chance that he could be bought down. The only way that it could happen, the only way, is if Joseph were to agree to restructure his contract, and that's not going to happen either, uh, to buy him down. And I'll say Joseph did not sound very happy yesterday. He didn't look very happy. He didn't seem very pleased. I don't know if he was just in a bad mood. I don't know if he had a bad training session. But I've seen a happier Joseph Martinez. Um, that's not to start a rumor or anything. It's just an observation. Nutri says for the podcast, it looks like Tyler Wolf may be hard to keep off the field, whether it's splitting time at a particular position or plugging in and playing wherever needed. With that said, who finishes the season with more combined assist goals, Moreno or Wolf? Well, that's going to be Moreno. Wolf is going to lose his starting position once Almodic is 90 minutes ready. Um, that's not a knock on Tyler. I suppose he could go over to the right and Brooks could drop back to right fullback and Ronald Hernandez loses his position. But I know Pineda is happy with the way Hernandez is playing. Um, But I like Wolf. I think he's got a bright future. He does need consistent minutes. Uh, But I think Marino is going to win that bet. But that's an interesting question, Nutri. Thank you. And then our final question. And, you know, it's one that just kind of hangs over. When will Luis Arugio be back in training? I think it's still going to be weeks. I asked Pineda about that yesterday. He didn't really give a definitive answer. Didn't say that he's training by himself. And with hamstrings, you just can't mess around with him. I know the team's in a month. I'm betting it'll be two months before you actually see him playing a game. But you don't want to risk it, particularly because he's a DP, particularly because you spent a lot of money to get him. So anyway, I think it's going to be a bit. So that is going to wrap up the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. I want to remind you all again. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has a special offer for Atlanta United supporters and listeners to this podcast. If you subscribe today, you will not only get unlimited digital access to the AJC and the Sunday paper for $2.30 a week, but we are also throwing in a special limited edition Atlanta United and Atlanta Journal-Constitution scarf. So sign up now at subscribe.ajc.com utdscarf. That's subscribe.ajc.com utdscarf. And always, if you are listening to us for the first time, or if you're a long-time listener, and you haven't and you aren't following us on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts, please do. And if you like what you hear, give us a good rating so we can grow the show. This is Doug Robertson, Southern Five Soccer Podcast. Atlanta United will host Montreal tomorrow at 4 p.m. at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. That was my dog. Sorry about that. Y'all take care. <laughs>